fantastic readers of two fantastic passages. Let me move up a story I was going to read at the end in light of that reality. My brother and I and his new wife were escorted to a bridal suite at an elegant hotel in wee hours in the morning. Of course, they were tired as many hours at the wedding reception and were mingling with their guests. They took a look around the room. They saw a sofa, a chair, and a table, but where's the bed? This is the bridal suite. They discovered the sofa was a hide bed, compete with lumpy mattress and springs sagging in the floor. My brother and his new wife spent a fitful night in the hide bed waking up with sore backs. The next morning, the new husband went to the hotel manager and complained and gave him a tongue lashing for giving him such a terrible room. And he simply responded, did you open the door into the other room? My brother went back to the room. He opened the door. He thought it was the closet. And there was a complete room full of baskets and chocolates and such an incredibly beautiful bedroom. <laughs> That's an interesting story, but it's also an image of what Bruce read. The reality of what we live in now versus the reality when the door is open. And we'll open it up to a most incredible reality that is for the people of faith. And I encourage you to keep that in mind as I go through the message this morning, that, that powerful reality of the new heaven and the new earth. Um, I look forward to Advent. It's always a special time of year as we look at God with us. And so uh, we have great anticipation for that to come. Well, my time is up soon, as you know. And uh, it's very difficult. I'm not one to spend, express a lot of feelings in public, but I do have a lot of feelings. But it's a, kind of a painful reality for me, as I think, not to let go of the mantle of leadership. I'm quite happy to be able to do that. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But what I have a hard time giving up is the relationships and friendships that we have shared. And as friends, more than just pastor, as friends with many, many of you. And that is going to be very, very difficult. Because when I leave, we make a separation. I no longer am a pastor of Roseville Covenant Church. Those days are done. And one out of respect for the process stays clear, quite clear of the church and all the dealings as God unfolds the wonderful future that you have that's before you. And as I was walking the halls this morning, as I do on Sunday mornings of my apartment complex, it was very difficult for me to think of the thoughts, or Holly and I, to think of the, uh, the reality of parting ways with you. However, those friendships are, are real, and I suppose maintain them in little ways. But again, at the end of the age, boy, will we share wonderful friendships and relationships together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we've, the message has already been told. The scripture has been read. The songs have been sung. Father, we just are so grateful that as we live in this world, as we navigate in this world, this isn't all there is. Oh, Father, what a tremendous new heaven and new earth you have planned for us as the people of faith. And for that, we give you thanks. I scoured the scriptures to come up with the last things I wanted to say for you. I, I, I came across, of course, the writings of Peter in, in his writings. And, and, of course, you know who Peter is, one of the closest confidants of Jesus. If anybody whose words we ought to pay attention to, it ought to be Peter's. He knew the words of Jesus. He listened to them. He lived the words of Jesus. And so, as I thought about it, this is really the kind of things that I want to say to you, as he has said in the sacred word. At the back of the wall, we have the themes of this great book of Second Peter, pursuing character. Regardless of what's going on in the world, folks, we cannot get distracted. It's easy to get distracted. 
It's easy to get distracted by the very things that were read this morning. Let's try to figure out the time when all this stuff is going to take place. Let's, let's get into the prophetic craze. Most of the time, that is all just a diversionary from what's important. What's important is right there, to pursue character. Always be about pursuing godly character, in regardless of what's happening in our lives. Nothing ever negates that. Listen to him. Focus on Jesus. I, you know, when he's up on that holy mountain with, God, with Jesus and two great prophets from the Old Testament, he was, he was translated. He's, he became, showed the very glory of God. And the one thing that's so significant is God himself says, of all people you listen to, listen to my son. And as you unfold the listening to the son, Jesus' words span the whole of the sacred word. The whole of the sacred word. Oddly enough, I didn't mention when, when Bruce read the, from the book of Revelation, over 260 references, delusion, allusions from the Old Testament are in the book of Revelation. Over 260 allusions and straight passages are from the Old Testament in that book. When Jesus unfolds listening to him, he's not talking about a little segment that we want to segment and then we, we determine what the words of Jesus we want to listen to. No, we don't. We listen to the totality of the message of Christ. Also, over there, be on guard. The last chapter, as we heard that read and as we talked about it last time, or two times ago, it's very, very harsh and direct. Peter is very upset that there are people who are distorting the truth and they were damaging the vitality of the church. And the, really the things that he was talking about are really things that are happening today just in a warmed over in a different form. But they're essentially the same. And he was very, very direct and when it comes to people who are meddling with the church to destroy the church through teachings that are contrary to the church, we ought to be, we ought to be people who, who directly address those things. Because when we stray from the truth, it hurts people that God loves. Because all the truth is given basically for our good. Spanning from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through, the truths of God, His righteousness and His ways are always best for us. But in chapter 3, he gets very endearing. In your text, he might use the word beloved, or many he uses dear friends. And I love the dear friends, because you remember calling Jesus at one time with his disciples. He said, I no longer call you slaves, because I don't want you just to do my business. I call you friends, because I want you to enter into my business. And that spans through the centuries to us. He wants us to be involved in his business. So he calls them dear friends, and I call you dear friends of mine. This chapter is about embracing the future. In the midst of uncertainty, where do we find our solid ground and our hope? This is why he wrote the letters. He wrote these letters to give a solid nature of our lives and to give us hope. These very endearing terms. We should face the future. Charles Kettering says we should be concerned about the future because we'll spend the rest of our lives living there. How true that one is. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, would you, for a few moments? Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 in the sacred word. Every section of this chapter starts with dear friends. Dear friends. After that harsh language in chapter 2 to those who are harming the church, now he, he zeroes in on those who he's endeared to. And he says, dear friends. The first seven verses that we see of this passage deals with don't forget the truth. The first couple of verses, he continually refers to the whole of Scripture. He says, we want, I want you to have clear thinking. You have to have clear thinking in this world. 
We have to be heads up when it comes to navigating in this world. And he refers to the prophets. The prophets are not just the ones who predict. We think prophets are predictors. Prophets are one who proclaim truth, and that's all the prophets of the Old Testament, way to the beginning with Moses, all the way through. And then the words through the truth of Jesus and the words that move through Jesus all the way to all the apostolic witness of the writers of sacred word. Folks, he's referring to the whole of Scripture, that we pay attention to it. Don't forget. Pay attention to the truth. Now, I love Stephen's message yes, last week. I think he hit at the heart of the good news of Christ. I think he's right on when he talks about the, the unbelievable love that God has for all people embodied in that great parable of the two prodigals and the one that came home. It's a wonderful message, and his message was also to encourage us to not be judgmental, because the church over time has been judgmental. But folks, according to Peter in this passage, there's something very different from judgmental and the judgment that is going to come. And the whole message of the Scriptures, however unpalatable it might be to an audience who doesn't want to hear, we can't make the Gospel message and the message of Christ palatable to an audience if we're going to give the whole message. We can't do that. We are deceiving people if we don't give them the full message. The primary message is the unbelievable love and grace of God that reaches into people's lives. But there is a judgment to come. There is a call for all humanity to repent of sin. We can't dismiss the messages of the Scripture that Peter gives to us that might be difficult for us to accept. Because acceptance of the message is not the issue. The issue is it comes from God. And he says to us, there is a judgment. There is a time where people have to repent and realize their deep spiritual brokenness. We have to realize in this section here, this first section, that we also God keeps His Word. Well, people say, where is the fulfillment of the return of Christ? We are waiting for Him in the first century. Where has He come? Where is His return? It's been so long. But remember, when Jesus comes, it's not a pleasant experience because he comes in judgment. He did follow through and he needed to judge the people of Noah's day. He will judge again. And he will judge again unbelievers. And when Jesus returns, folks, it's a mixed bag. I believe when he returns, that's when he takes us home. I don't think it's a separate time. When he comes, he comes in two realities. One is to take his people home, his followers home. But he's going to judge those who reject him. And we have a collision of God's justice and his mercy. But God keeps his word. God keeps his word. And he wants us to reflect on that this morning. He keeps his word. He will come again. He will come again. He also, in verses 8 through 13, tells us, dear friends, again, endearing friends, he says to them, God is patient towards unbelievers. This is so important. God is not in a hurry to return. He's not, he's not in a hurry. He's so patient. Why? Because he wants to wait as long. And by the way, in the Old Testament, you cannot consistently, you see consistently that he tarries long before he judges. How long did he go with Israel? How long did he plead with them to return? How long the nations of the earth in the book of Amos did he, did he plead with them? Did he wait? Did he tarry long in his mercy? He's patient because he wants all to come home. The message is consistent in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, it says, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
You can't read superficially the Old Testament. You must read it. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather they turn their ways and they live. That's the heart of God. He desires more than anything else for people to come home. That's the heart of God. Come home. Dear friends, God wants to be patient towards unbelievers. Not only does He keep His Word, but He keeps His promises, folks, in verse 10-13, through 13, the certainty of His return. He will come again at His time frame, not ours. He will end the world on His time frame. All the doomsday prophets we have these days and politicians becoming prophets these days, talking about massive cataclysmic events, and there will be a massive cataclysmic event. But the world will not end in a flood, folks. God promised the world will not end in a flood. But there will be a massive cataclysmic event that Jesus talks about. And the revelation of John talks about a massive earthquake that will occur that will be one of the final signs or the final state of the earth as we know it. And it will be destroyed. It will be refined by fire, making it ready for its final state. And that final state is the songs we've sung and the words we've talked about, the promise of a new heaven and a new earth, that wonderful, wonderful reality for the people of faith. He goes on to say, dear friends, live holy lives. 14 through 16, he says, live holy lives. Consistent message of the apostles what do we do in the midst of uncertainty, folks? We don't get sidetracked. It's so easy to get sidetracked and worried about what's happening. The worst thing for the people of faith is to be sidetracked by all the political intrigue, all the uncertainty in this world. The consistent message is in the midst of uncertainty, live spotless, blameless lives and be at peace with God. Be honorable in your moral conduct in tune with God's purposes, His desires, His laws, and His values and peace with God who comes through Christ. You realize when you know Christ, you have peace with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. You will always have peace with God because you're a friend of God. And so live holy lives. He talks earlier about that. Our deep reverence for God, we love Him and we seek to genuinely love others. That's the call. That's the focus of the people of faith. That's what we focus in on. We do not get sidetracked. Dear friends, live holy lives. And don't distort the truth. In a classroom setting, a Peanuts comic strip, one of the first days of a new school year, the students were told to write an essay about returning to class. In her essay, Lucy wrote, vacations are nice, but it's good to get back to school. There is nothing more satisfying or challenging than education. And I look forward to the year of expanding my knowledge. Needless to say, the teacher was so pleased with Lucy and complimented her fine essay, but in the final frame. Lucy leans over and whispers to Charlie Brown, after a while, we learn what sells. <laughs> the temptation to say what sells, what others want to hear, whether it's true or not. We live in a world, folks, where it's no longer about the truth. Everything is determined by what furthers the cause. And whatever furthers the cause is justified by whatever immoral or terrible behavior or how you treat people doesn't matter anymore. Matter anymore. Because it's all about the agenda. It's all about what sells. He talks about people who distort the truth for their own purposes and their destruction. They distort the truth. They twist it for their own purposes to say what they want to say. People who are ignorant, he says, of the truth. They don't know the truth. How many people that are panificating about what the Bible says in culture have ever even read the Bible? Many of them haven't even read the Bible, but they're panificating about what the Bible says. They're ignorant. 
And then many people are unstable. They'll change and waver in their positions as the wind blows. And he says, no, no. We cannot be people who twist the truth. In his last section, he says, be on guard, friends. Be on guard. The heir of the lawless. I've said to you before, legalism is not the greatest challenge of the church. I'm not saying it's not there. But that's not the big challenge of the church. The challenge of the church is lawlessness. It's freedom, unbridled freedom to do what we want. At whatever cost, we do what we want to do. And that license is what can destroy us, he said. And it can fall from our secure position we have in Christ when we choose to say that what God desires of us no longer matters and I'm free to do whatever I want. This is what he says be on guard for. Then he encourages us to continue to grow. Oh, how does he want us to grow? In grace. Grace is what leads us to God. Grace is what we have security in, in Christ. Grace is what guides us as we live life. We live in the fact that everything has been given to us by God, by his powerful grace. And then we continue to grow in continual knowledge of Jesus. He came to two things. One, to draw us back into a relationship with God, but he also came to show us the nature of the Father. And so if we're going to grow, we're going to have to recognize that everything we have comes from God. That changes our whole perspective on life. And then we get to know Jesus. Folks, we live godly lives in light of that new reality, that new heaven and new earth. That wonderful reality that's described in the book of Revelation. That's described in the great book of Isaiah and other places in the Old Testament. Folks, humanity is not going to bring in the new reality. That all the secular realities, they're going to bring in the new reality here. Oh, they got the plan and the program. Secular humanity has been terribly destructive in human history when they say they can do it without God. There's Christians who say we can bring in the new reality. They've tried that too. We can bring in the new millennium. We'll do it. If I read the scriptures correctly, I'm sorry, sorry to say, but for us as the people of faith, it looks to me like it's going to get worse before the end. But then Jesus Christ is going to come. And he's going to come and he's going to bring in that unbelievable kingdom that unbelievable kingdom under his rule, under his rule. And Peter says that if there's anything we ought to do is keep our feet on the ground, serving God faithfully, as we look forward to that unbelievable new heaven and new earth. Amen.